Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. <laughs> the Dean, episode 47 with our model, Dr. Scott Wright's model. Mid shirt never stop yes, learning. Yes, never stop learning. Yes, love it. Love it, love it. Yep. Rachel Grubbs, how are you? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm also wearing a shirt that says things, but it's not pre-med. <laughs> words and stuff (laughs) (laughs) well that's pre-med-ish persist and resist yeah kind of the 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 words of the the last few years yeah exactly awesome (laughs) yes as in as in uh, well, I am back this week after uh, the flooding of last week. Oh, uh, thanks, thanks for uh, continuing the show without me. Yeah. Uh, I'm back in in the the studio basement studio. Hopefully, not dying of mold exposure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is, I, I'm I'm sacrificing myself just to be here with you all. I miss you. Oh, and we're so happy. I thought you were just going to go to your backup studio in Hollywood. Yes, my, my backup studio. That's that's a good place to be. Um, well, what did I, what did I miss? What's been going on? Well, we had a fantastic session last week without you. I don't know what that means, but no, yeah. I'm kidding. It was good. We, we, we missed you. Problems. Yeah, they're all yep. getting five twenties now. Mm-hmm. That's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, all right. Except for that one that got a five twenty eight, you know that 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 was a anomaly, though. I I will uh, leave her anonymous because she didn't authorize me to share her name, but someone did email me to tell me she got a five twenty six. Wow! Yes, crushed it. <laughs> That's amazing. Pretty cool. That is very cool. That is way cool. Yeah. Now, Ryan, we got a bunch of pre asked questions, but I put them in before you joined. Can you see them? I never can. Bummer. That is a fault of okay. um, StreamYard. I'm going to start repasting them in the same sequence. All right. There we go. All right. Let's start with the first question here. When can we expect to have separate projected science and cumulative GPA in mapped? That is a good question. Separate projected science. I don't think we, ah. we have that. So let me... Um, let me log in. I'll actually, for for the sake of our YouTube audience, I'll uh, share my my mapped account here, this demo account that we have set up, and so students can see what we're talking about. So in <clears throat> um, in mapped, you have the ability to come up here either here in more detail or now under courses you can click on view gpa detail here and see this kind of projected look of cumulative gpa um and there's i mean there's projected stuff there i don't know what what are they talking about are they talking about the calculator yeah they're talking about that yeah so 
if I say, hey, I'm going to take 40 more credit hours at a 3.8, right now we're only calculating out cumulative GPAs. So we could theoretically add another column here of how many of these credit hours are science and do that. So there's obviously a bug here because this doesn't oh, yeah. have a current GPA. Let me take a screenshot. <clears throat> Um, yeah, that's that's definitely something we can put on the roadmap. We, it's not something that's asked for a bunch, but obviously science GPA is one of the more important GPAs to look at, especially if you're trying to overcome some negative GPAs. We can do that. We'll add that to the to list. Yep, great. All right, so next question here. My state has two medical schools, MD and DO. I really want to stay in-state since my husband has a solid job and will be close to family if we decide to have kids soon. Is it crazy to only apply to those two schools? I'm a non-trad and wonder if it's even worth applying out of state because my stats are on the lower side. Hmm. Scott, what do you think? Well, you know, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, anytime you have connection, family connections and stuff that are really necessitating you staying close by. I've, I've had students before who only applied to a limited number of schools uh, because of obligations for whatever reason. A lot of times it's spouse or partner. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, uh, other family issues that really need, make, make them need to, to stay close by. And, you know, I don't think, I, I think if you, if you do that, you got to go into it knowing that that's going to limit the possibilities. And, uh, but I, I think that, you know, I, especially if the student is applying DO, I would say apply DO and out of state for sure. Um, most of the DO schools are private, private institutions and don't, uh, really have out of state, um, regulations attached to them. And, uh, and, and they're, they're very friendly to non-traditional students. And, uh, particularly if there's a nice trend line on the, uh, on the GPA and stuff, I would say, I'd say go for it. Uh, MD is a little bit different just because there's so many of them have state residency regulations and stuff because they're public institutions. But I would say certainly on the DO side, I'd, I'd go for a broader, broader brush on that. Mm. That'd be yeah, my thought. It's, it's, it's hard. Uh, I see this a lot with non-traditional students, mm -hmm. uh, as I'm sure you, you do as well, of just, especially with a spouse or a, a significant other in the mix where they have a job and it's a good job and it's maybe more of a local job that they couldn't get somewhere else. And there, there are restrictions on that and kids aren't in play yet. It sounds like, but potentially are, are nearby or close. Um, right. And it just, it makes things so much harder. But the, the question that I always come back to, I ask the student, do you want, to be a doctor or do you want to be a graduate of either of those two schools? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is, I want to be a doctor, then there are going to be sacrifices. Yeah. And maybe those sacrifices are you live apart from your husband. Maybe those sacrifices are your husband. You don't have kids. A lower paying job. You don't mm -hmm. have kids for a while or you, your family moves with you. Um, there, there are sacrifices. So mm -hmm. Yep. Lots of issues. Yep. Yeah. Life. Adulting. It's so, so it hard. It sucks. It's yeah. So hard. 
<sighs> yeah. But so good, good luck with your big decision. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, next question here. I currently work as a derm research tech, but it involves a few hours in our clinic each week seeing patients. Is it okay to break the clinical aspect out as its own activity on apps, or is it going to look like I'm quote, double dipping. I don't want to lie and call my job clinical, but still want to highlight that I'm getting clinical experience and have that stand out. I also see the clinic aspect as most meaningful. Hmm. Sounds like two descriptions for me. Yeah, I agree completely. Split it up. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I, I haven't seen it on AMCAS or TMDSAS instruction manuals, but the ACOMAS instruction manual specifically says if one activity kind of involves two different things, split it up. Yeah. The the double dipping really only comes from if if you have a hundred hours working as a derm research tech, if you put research a hundred hours and then clinical 20 hours. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, that's yeah. That's that's wrong. If you yeah. did 80 hours derm research tech and 20 hours clinical for a total of 100, yes. That's, yes. What you, that's what you should do. Absolutely. Double I dipping is that. more the hours. Agreed. I agree with that completely. <clears throat> awesome. Next and one. I do like and I do like the idea of of really emphasizing the clinical aspect when you when you when you're in the clinic. And you're seeing those patients. That's super important. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. <sighs> Doctor Wright, that's, that's that's a good looking shirt on you. I really like. I know, look. right? I got it off this like you know <laughs> kind of sketchy website. I don't know what the deal was with it, but <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good blue on you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, next question here. I'm a third year tr uh, traditional student. Trad student. I've never really seen trad student before. Uh, right. Traditional student. Nearby hospitals, limited hiring, ended volunteering in 2020. In February 2021, I started a full-time job as a patient transporter. Will this be viewed as, quote, checking a box? It will be 2,400 hours by June of 2022. I mean, I don't think so. I think, you know, this. this is the big thing that we've been talking about that we talked about three weeks ago in our, in our broadcast on COVID that, you know, med schools are, that they get it, you know, they get it that there's no, that there's no volunteering, that there's limited hiring even. And, uh, and so I, I honestly don't think that this will be viewed as checking a box. I think that it's going to be viewed as doing what you can, uh, to get experience. And, uh, sounds like you're going to have a whole lot of hours by, by next June. And so I, I'd say I, I wouldn't worry about it. Yep. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the question I always go back to, it's like, what are you going to do different? Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. What's the job? alternative? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, they're going to see it as me checking a box. So I might as well quit. Um, <laughs> and then I can't do anything else. Cause that'll look like checking a box. So yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. Yep. I agree. Awesome. All right. On to uh, some live questions here. One of my favorite professors taught me in my chemistry class that carries full science GPA credit. Oh, wait. One of my favorite professors taught me in my chemistry class that carries full science GPA credit through a four-year university. But the class was taught in high school as a dual credit course. I want to ask him for a letter of recommendation because I made such a strong connection with him. And he was instrumental in my path to applying to medical school. Would it be okay to use him for a letter? 
Dr. Wright? Um, I, I would say yes. If he was teaching a class that was dual credit, so that means he was teaching it for the high school students as well as for the college credit. So he was employed by the college in some regard, so qualified to be teaching that class and getting college credit for it. Um, I'd say, sure. Why not? Um, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he or she, whoever it is, uh, got, uh, you know, was credentialed and stuff. So I'd say go for it. Yeah. I, I, there's this weird fear that students have around dual enrollment courses, thinking that medical schools don't see them as college courses. <laughs> That's the whole point of them. They are college right. courses. Uh, you just happen to be in high school while you're taking it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is true good 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 yeah i mean i think the confusion stems from the fact that sometimes ap and ib don't count mm-hmm. and those are also meant to be college equivalents yeah. so there there is some some murkiness there yeah um, yeah but see i don't see that right i don't see them as college equivalents i think colleges have said we'll give you credit thanks for thanks for taking those classes we'll kind of capitulate and give you some credit, but I wouldn't call them college equivalents. Yeah. And I think that that's only if you make a certain grade on the, on the right. exam. Yeah. Right. So just because you took an AP class, if you don't get, cause I took some AP classes in, in high school and I took they had high the school exam. Yeah. It was a one room schoolhouse. <laughs> Had like, you know, chalkboard <laughs> things at the cha- chairs that you, you had a slate. On. A slate, yeah, a slate. And an abacus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Asshole. We got to bleep that out now. Oh, sorry. Mark, <laughs> mark our podcast explicit. I just rewatched one. That was like weird edit. And then Scott going, sorry about my French. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But to your point, right. AP is, is a little different because it's, it's about your score on the exam. And then it's about what the college decides to do with it. And then it's also about what the med school decides to do with it. Um, yeah. I mean, I always tell high school students to do the AP anyway, just because, you know, those courses move so fast in college. Like it's not the end of the world. If you have to take you know, calc twice because right. the second time you do it at the college level, it's at about, you know, eight X the high school yeah, speed. Right. Right. <laughs> I took I took this many AP courses. <laughs> <laughs> I think I took one or two. I don't yeah. remember. All righty. Okay. Does it make one more competitive to a medical scribe for the teaching hospital directly affiliated with your local medical school versus a scribe elsewhere? Hmm. Connections, networking, potentially, right? The networking. Like, is one of the physicians you are scribing for on the admissions committee who could <laughs> do a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge? Um, obviously, they're not going to be the one reviewing your application because there's a mm-hmm. conflict there, but they potentially could put in a good word for you. But outside of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would look at other benefits, relative benefits besides that um, before I would put a whole lot of credibility in that. Um, so, you know, I, I think, does it pay the same? Is it the same level of, uh, of scribing work? Uh, do you get to do more as a scribe at one place as opposed to another? You know, some stuff like that. Um, 
but um, you know, I mean, networking is is important and and does have benefits. So I, I do agree with that. That you know, getting a getting a letter of recommendation out of somebody who's on faculty at, at the teaching hospital, you know, could potentially be good if if that is you know something that might come out of it. Okay. All right. We got a couple other comments, but they were in the event, so I'm just going to move this one here. I don't, did we see this one? Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. I've been volunteering with my local church for many years as a musician. At one point, I did have a leadership position as the music director, which was paid, but otherwise it has been strictly volunteer for over 10 years. Is this something I can list as volunteering? No, it isn't quote, essential like volunteering at a clinic or hospital, but does that matter if you're serving your community in some way? Yeah, I mean, I I see this quite, this is not uncommon, uh, volunteer work or leadership type positions within your religious tradition. And, uh, and, and I, I think it's, it's valid. And uh, even if you, you know, got paid for a short time because somebody stepped out and you kind of stepped in, I think, you know, the, the the vast majority of it sounds like was 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 volunteering and and uh, and and um, so I, I definitely feel like that I would say it's um, that you could you know put it as volunteer work maybe with a caveat that you know within the description that says you know for a short time I you know w- was paid as the music director but the lion's share of it was volunteer yeah and, and the the kind of second part of this question of or the statement i know it isn't quote essential like volunteering at a clinic or hospital but does that matter if you're serving your community there are some medical schools out there that want to see non-clinical volunteering on an application not every school cares and that volunteering is volunteering but some schools do want to see that you are out there giving of yourself because as a doctor, you have to give of yourself. I I don't necessarily like those correlations, um, but there are some schools that want that. I agree. All right. I have an excellent job as a CNA that I enjoy, but does, but it does not allow me to connect with any physicians. Would it be wise to leave my job for something like a medical scribe or medical assistant that would possibly allow me to get a physician letter of recommendation? I'm worried that without a physician LOR, my choices of DO schools are very limited. A volunteer or shadowing opportunity is very unlikely given the current situation. Hmm. Wow, that's a tough one. Um, because you've got if you've got a really good, strong, you know, um, position as a CNA, then I think that, you know, that's great clinical experience. And uh, I, I would say, in fact, <clears throat> probably CNA experience is, is better than scribing experience just because of what you're getting to do and the amount of patient contact you have and direct patient care that you're doing. Um, but I understand the issue of, of a DO. So I, what, what I would do if I were you is I would try to Make connection with with uh, the the other uh, the nursing staff at your current job, and the uh, and if possible the some of the physicians within the context of your current job, and just tell them what you're doing and uh, and network in that way as a CNA. 
uh, and then see if you can't if you can't connect with a physician that would let you uh, follow them around for a day or two or or whatever, take them to coffee in the hospital cafeteria, you know, whatever you can do to uh, to connect with them in a way that will would uh, allow you to you know do some further some uh, further shadowing, but um, yeah, so I think that's my. That's kind of my feeling on that. Yep. That's like, that was like Bubba from uh, Forrest Gump. That's all I got to (laughs) say about that. that. Yeah. Such a good movie. Oh, I love that movie. Student asks, my MCAT score is not horrible, but also not where I want it to be. I really want to apply as early as possible. Is it better for me to apply early in May with my okay MCAT score, letting them know I'm going to retake or wait until I get my new MCAT score back when and then apply? Hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, I think a lot of schools, I don't know to calculate out how, how many schools that would be, but there's going to be a, a good portion of schools that when they see that you're retaking the MCAT, they're going to hold off on everything until they get the new MCAT score. So it's, it's sort of applying early is not going to really mean anything other than getting your application in the cycle for validation uh, or verification. And then, you know, then that would be good. But otherwise I don't think there's a benefit necessarily in applying uh, applying super early if you're going to be waiting on that other MCAT score. Yeah, I I always lean on rolling admissions is really important and yeah. it is very nice to get your application in line to get verified. Um, I, this would be such a kind of a moot point um, if AMCAS could verify applications as fast as Acomas does. Mm-hmm. Like somehow Acomas does it in four days, no matter when you apply, but AMCAS, it could be six weeks. I'm like, why? Like, what, what are you doing? It's so magical that Acomas isn't doing or whatever. I was just rereading their handbook and they say expect up to eight weeks. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't always take that long, that's but insane. that's what their fine print reads. It's like yeah. allow eight weeks. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is not the AAMC bashing committee. Um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the the rolling rolling admissions is just so important. And, yeah, and so and as you said, right as, as pre COVID, post COVID, and kind of last year, with the exception, schools are going to look and go, "Oh, you have a pending score. Let's just wait. We don't care that you got a four ninety five your first time. We'll wait for your second score." Right. Or whatever right. it is. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of schools that'll do that. Yeah. Particularly if you're fear. on the bubble. Yeah. The, the fear is always like, they're, they're going to see my 495 and just reject me. They're, they don't even care that I have another score. Like, no. no. Like, they understand that the MCAT is a beast and that students mistakenly treat it like a just a normal test and walk in blind and do terrible on it. And then you come back and you crush it because you prepared for it properly. Right, right. Yeah, mostly. That's right, yeah. Um, Awesome. All right, so where'd we leave it for her? She's going to go ahead and get herself verified. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Or him, sorry, them. 
them is what I should say when I don't know. Uh, okay, here's an interesting one. I'm planning on starting MD DO PhD outreach group. Can I still list this on the AMCAS and a Comus activities experience section if I project my partition pa- participation dates? I have no idea what that is. Hey, what outreach is, what group? Is an I don't MD know. DO PhD outreach group. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I wasn't sure of the context either. I guess what we can say is for any of those activities, you shouldn't be projecting if they're not ongoing. Right. So uh, I don't know if this person is applying in, oh, I was, what are we down to, like 14 days now? Um, <laughs> but if you are applying in 14 days and you haven't started the group yet, I would say no. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with that. I, if you're I think, applying next year, then it's not, it's going to be moot. Um, right. Now, if you, yeah, and I'm just, I'm only saying no because your words are, you've worded it, planning on starting. No. Um, so if, if planning on starting means, oh, actually it's been going for three months and I'm just like, it's, you know, if you're just underselling yourself, then it might be different. Yeah. Great. So, so let me kind of twist this one a little bit. Uh, based on, I, I did some application renovation recordings today, and a student applied this past cycle with two activities on his application that didn't happen with the, this was going to happen, but COVID canceled it. What are your thoughts on doing that? <sighs> on the primary application, not on a secondary that said, how did COVID affect you? Yeah, I... I don't, I don't like that idea. Yeah. I, I think that's a little scammy to me. It sounds a little scammy. Mm-hmm. It, just because, you know, I think that you have the ability in other parts of the application, particularly in secondaries these days, to, to talk about how, how COVID affected you, just like you said. And, and to put that in the activity section as if it's something that you did, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I just don't like that idea. I, it sounds... Because if if a, if it and, and I don't mean to over overplay this, but if an admissions committee member or a reader is simply scanning an uh, an application mm-hmm. and they miss the fact that that didn't occur, and mm-hmm. you talked all about it and everything, then there may be an assumption that you did all that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it feels really checklisty to me. Yeah. You know, like I wanted to prove to you that I had these things as opposed to here's what I experienced and learned from it. I mean, nobody would ever tell med schools, well, you know, I got a 512 and a 513 once on my MCAT practice test. So even though it was a 509 on the real day, I think you guys should go ahead and mark me down as a 513. Like, <laughs> you know, it's understood that if it doesn't happen in the official context, it doesn't happen. Right. Right. Maybe somebody would do that, but they'd be wrong. <laughs> 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 All right. Good luck with whatever your outreach group is, though. Yeah. <laughs> when is a good time to leave a non-clinical career for something more clinical? Yesterday. Yeah, and I was gonna. I was thinking now, or <laughs> I, I think as soon as possible for a variety of reasons. You know, I think that 
the more clinical experience you get, the better off you, you're going to be in terms of letters of recommendation, in terms of uh, experiences that you're going to have, but also in terms of motivation. You know, this is especially if you're a second career and you're, you know, you're thinking about uh, going into medicine, you need that experience and you need that motivation to say, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. And, and so I would say as soon as possible. Yeah, it's it's hard, especially for non-traditional students. They may be in a, a career that pays them very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so leaving a stable, high-paying job um, can be difficult. And and I always like to, to say, well, it's not an either-or. Maybe there's a mix that you can do mm-hmm. where you can cut down on the hours of your current job to start doing some more clinical things so mm-hmm. yeah. that you can still benefit from the career and, and the financial stability or whatever else it's bringing you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, yeah, or maybe never if you can't afford to leave your non-clinical career. But yeah. uh, when is it a good time to get clinical? As soon as you know yeah. you want to be a doctor. Yep, exactly. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Are there any potential cons to bridge or post back to med school programs cost (laughs) (laughs) money 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 (laughs) yeah exactly come on finish it scott (laughs) money (laughs) good job yeah uh they're they're expensive and at the end of the day there's no guarantee Right, because there's still restrictions on you have to keep this GPA, you have to get this MCAT score, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to jump through all these hoops that we're going to put in front of you. And what is the guarantee on the other end? Most of the guarantees are a guaranteed interview. Interview, and, and that's at the most. Yeah. 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 So, but I, I think the money is the biggest, the biggest con. Not, not like a con job, but like negative. The biggest negative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Here's one we've gotten, but not in a while. How's a master's considered when compared to undergrad? Yeah, that's a good question. And and we do get that occasionally. And so I, I, I would really say that it depends a little bit on what the master's program is in and uh, what, what field it's in. And, uh, and, and, the reason I say that they're often not considered comparable is that grading is much different in graduate school than it is in, in an undergraduate program. Uh, in graduate school, you don't make C's and stay in graduate school. You know, you, 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 make, you make C's and, and you're kind of gone. And, uh, and so the, to say, well, I had a 3.4 GPA in graduate school is not really the same as saying I had a 3.4 in undergrad uh, or to, to say I had a 3.7 in, in graduate school uh, is not necessarily the same as saying a 3.7 in undergrad. Now, that is not to say that you that one is necessarily better than the other. I think that you have to consider the whole package of what is this all about, what are my goals, um, et cetera. So I, I, think, I think you have to you know, think about all of the – all of the details related to, you know, what options that you're looking at. Now, in this this questioner, I, I'm not sure if they're considering the idea of a postback program 
uh, of, a, of a, doing a master's is, is kind of a post-bac way of improving their GPA as opposed to additional undergrad classes. It's not clear kind of what they're, where they're coming from on this. But I, I do think that they're often not comparable, uh, but it does depend on the, on the uh, program and, uh, you know, what the details of that particular program are. All righty. Yes, yes. Let's see. I'm hoping to apply this cycle with a very well-rounded application. However, my MCAT practice exams have hit a plateau, and I can't seem to get higher than a 501. Do you have any advice or recommendations on how to tackle this issue? Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> Let me spotlight myself. Okay. Oh, Man, Ryan, you and I love to click at the exact same time. <laughs> Yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, plateaus are really common for MCAT prep. Um, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of factors. Um, so, you know, a 30-second diagnosis is only going to get you so far. But the, the number one thing that I find students forget to do or fail to do is accurately review practice exams. So, for every practice test you take, that's, you know, what, roughly an eight-hour experience or six-hour experience, um, you should be spending one to two times as long reviewing. So, um, you know, one of my pet peeves is when someone says something like, I'm going to take an exam every day. I'm like, how? Like, it should be, you know, even if you had every day to give to MCAT prep, which most of us don't, it would be exam on Monday, review on Tuesday and Wednesday, exam on Thursday. Um, so, uh, really spend time going over every single question, whether you got it right or wrong. It's very tempting to ignore the ones you got right. Just look at the wrong ones and then go, oh, I made a silly mistake. But you need to be looking for patterns in your mistakes. Um, hopefully you have some kind of lessons learned journal or a, what did I get wrong or why did I get it wrong list. And you want to be adding to that every time you review a question, right or wrong. Um, so that you're kind of taking away those points and adding to your, um, to your knowledge base and to just, you know, again, a lot of it isn't the knowledge, it's the critical reading. So figuring out, you know, sometimes the answer you think is right is not the MCAT credited response and making sure you're thinking about how the MCAT thinks and what it wants you to answer. And de detailed review is the thing students tend to miss the most when they're stuck. Yep, yep. Okay. Awesome. Good luck. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hi, all. I'm applying this cycle, and I have all of my 15 activities and personal statement done. Woohoo! I would love yeah, to awesome. service for editing. So do you help reword, fix grammar issues, and make sure everything is categorized correctly? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Scott, when I when I come to you, let's let's say I'm I'm Joe Schmo pre med. Um, I, I need a good what's a good uh, name for pre med? Uh, Patrick the pre med. Um, and I'm I'm Irish, so I can do Patty. I'm Patty the pre med. Uh, and I say, hey, I want you to edit my essays. What does that look like? 
So that looks like, so, you know, let's take, for example, the personal statement. So what, what I'm going to do when I look at your personal statement is, number one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole personal statement probably a couple of different times. And I'm going to be looking at several different things. I'm going to be looking at overall, how does this, how do I approach this essay? What does this essay say to me? Both my, what does it say to my intellect as well as what does it say to my heart? Does, does this seep as a passionate person that is really passionate about going into medicine? What does it say to me intellectually, uh, my head, my heart? What, what, are the, what, what kind of message do they get from this? So that's sort of the big picture. Uh, I'm also going to be looking at wording and phraseology and, uh, um, gra- you know, grammar, things like that. Uh, what is the best way? Uh, to look at this, I, I was editing one earlier today where um, this was a, a nurse who was um, uh, in her essay was talking about being a nurse. And, and she said uh, that she had talked about a trauma that had come into the emergency room as, as a nurse and how she was dealing with this trauma and how she was so anxious to, to be a part of the team to take care of them. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why she was going to go, uh, wanted to go into medical school. And so I asked her, I actually happened to have a, a, a session set up with her, and I asked her, I said, now, you said in this sentence here, uh, I wanted to be part of the team. And, I, and my question is, weren't you part of the team as a nurse? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she was like, oh, well, I didn't even think of that. You know, yeah, you're right. And so we, we, we you know, worked on talking about how we could change that part of it to, to better indicate kind of what she was thinking. And so that, that's the type of things that I'm going to try to point out. This is the message I got from this sentence. What was your intention when you yeah. wrote this sentence and, uh, or, or this paragraph or whatever? I'm going to be looking at transitions. Is it, is it make sense in terms of transitioning from one thought to another? Uh, does it seem to, uh, to, to be personal to you or does it come across as real sort of objective? And you have to keep in mind that these are not formal writing exercises for your classes at school. This is a, a personal statement. It's what needs to be very personal in terms of how you, how you're talking. I like to hear, I like to be able to hear the person speaking it. Uh, in, in, in a way, and, and I don't want it to sound like some sort of, you know, um, encyclopedia language or, yeah. you know, real super formal language. So we're going to be doing all of those things when we look at, look at, uh, look at your, uh, at your activities or at uh, the personal statement and, and give you input. And then it's up to you to accept or reject what we, you know, what I've pointed out or, you know, what we say. And, uh, and I think most students are, are uh, pleased that, you know, they, that they want to have other people read the, uh, read the uh, essay or the, the, the um, extracurricular activity descriptions and stuff. And, and I think it makes a, a, a really uh, important point for an application to have various people reading it and not just people that you love and that love you and that think everything that you write is awesome and, you know, stuff like that. You need a critical eye uh, to, to, give you, uh, to give you indications of what, what they think. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that that intention is is really big, yeah. uh, especially like during my application renovation videos. I'm like, here's what I what I'm what I'm seeing when I read this, or what I'm what I'm hearing when I read this, or whatever that <laughs> statement is. Is 
and they're like, oh, that's not what I meant. I'm like, oh, that's not what, that's not what you wrote here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I think you're muted, Rachel. I am muted because I was coughing before. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just want to just remind, I know sometimes we have folks who listen rather than watch, you know, you're driving or doing dishes or whatever. Um, if you're interested in essay feedback, we do still have some spots open for this cycle and you can go to map.com services. So essay feedback is outside of the map membership. Um, so whether or not you're a map subscription member, you can, you can get that advising by going online and enrolling. Yep. All right. Let's get yes, back to more questions. Just, just behind the scenes for all of you watching as we're, we're in the, um, in the throes of adding another advisor to the team. So yep. we have Dr. Yep. Scott Wright, uh, Rachel and I are, will be available for advising soon on the websites and yep. we'll have a, another advisor amazing people we're we're looking at yep. yeah yeah definitely we've, been, we've really been blessed with like it's going to be a tough choice for a good reason you know mm -hmm. yeah yep agreed all right Hello, I need 85 more credits to break a GPA of 3.5, but my school needs only about uh, needs about only 60 credits for me to graduate with my bachelor's. My current GPA, uh, cumulative GPA and science GPA are 3.2 each. What should I focus on? Thank you. Sciences. Oh, what you same? Yeah. So it looks like it looks like they're still very early on in their undergrad because they're yeah. sixty credits away from graduating. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like they. Uh, I don't know how that makes sense. I don't know. Maybe they have lots of associates credits that didn't transfer. Yeah. Um, I mean, so it's anonymous here, but I think this question asker is a non trad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, potentially for a second, uh, second bachelor's maybe. Yeah, um, so. so here's here's where, especially for non trads, there's always this focus on three point five, like eighty five hours. So so Scott, let's let's assume right. The the assumption here is eighty five credit hours at a four point right. right. From your perspective. 60 hours at a 4.0 versus 85 hours at a 4.0. Is there a difference? No, no, no. And no. that trend is so important. Oh yeah. So many people focus on, and I think a lot of money is wasted, unfortunately on mm -hmm. more and more and more credits to get to this, this theoretical Mecca of a 3.5. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And I, I just don't think it's, imp I, I think, you know, Looking at that trend line, looking at those last 60 hours, if this indeed is a post-bac and they're doing a second bachelor's degree, then all these are going to be lumped into a post-bac GPA anyway. And yeah. uh, it's not going to, you know, it's, it, you know, the schools are often going to focus in on that post-bac GPA uh, to, to see kind of who you are currently, academically at least. And yeah. uh, so I, I just don't think... Uh, I, I don't think 85 is, is this magic number, nor is 3.5 this magic number for a QM or for a science GPA. Yeah. So for this specific student, um, this is not post-bac work. Okay. They, they did lose credits uh, in a transfer that didn't count towards their oh. bachelor's. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So still show up on an application because you have to put all the grades, but right. aren't 
um, available for the degree, right? Which is is kind of a benefit, right? Because they're they're being forced to take more classes, which uh, it sounds like they've kind of fixed their uh, ability to do well in classes, and so their undergraduate. Mm-hmm. GPA will be improved. And and I will tell you that at least in the state of Texas, if you go above a certain number of classes above what you need to graduate, you get charged the out-of-state rate. Oh, ouch. And that's the purpose is to take care of these professional students. That's, that's all they ever do is go to school. They never graduate. They just keep going and going and going and going and exploring and, you know, all this stuff. And it wastes resources. And this is the theoretical structure behind the decision to do that. But, you know, so, you know, so just be aware that, you know, um, you know, check and make sure what you need to graduate, but I completely agree with what we've, what we've just said is, is those last, that trend line and those last 60 hours are going to be crucial. Yeah. All right. Is it okay to talk about my interest in primary care and my applications and secondary or secondaries, or should I leave it out and just focus or discuss my passion for medicine in general? Boy, I think if you're if you're really interested in primary care, I think you talk about it. You know, I think you talk about it in terms of uh, relationship building. If that's if that's something that's important to you, this relational, this longitudinal aspect of of medicine, uh, then you talk about it and you talk about why you feel that way and what what it is about uh, about primary care that attracts you. Um, don't talk about it as if this is the end all and beat all and you'll never do anything else. Obviously, you know, very few people would do that, but I think it's, it's totally fine to talk about, you know, what primary care is all about and why it attracts you. And, uh, and, and that you, you know, uh, I mean, that's what attracts a lot of people to primary care, at least initially is this sort of relational, uh, develop the, the, the relationships that you develop over time in a primary care setting, whether it's, I was just talking to somebody today about their, uh, they had shadowed in, in a, a pediatrician and the pediatrician had one whole wall full of pictures of, uh, of all their patients. And it was a timeline and it showed the patients growing over the years. And uh, that just super attracted the student uh, to, to that, uh, you know, to that that idea of primary care is this is this you know longer kind of relational type experience for a for a physician as opposed to you know one off as a surgeon or 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 as a specialist where you you know maybe deal with them for a short time and then they're gone or etc. So I think it's cool to talk about it, Ryan. What do you think? Yeah, I I think my general advice is always like focus on why medicine and not a specific specialty. Primary care though is like it's it's I think perfectly fine. Um it, it, I I was talking to a student earlier today for application renovation. He was one of the few applications where 398 science GPA, 519 or 520 MCAT score. And I was trying to pick apart his application. It was a really good application. And so I brought up his secondary application, which I typically don't do. And it, the the first question on the secondary application is kind of, um, what do you, 
what does your future look like or, or mm-hmm. something? And it was a very generic question and, mm-hmm. and wasn't specifically leading to like, tell us what specialty you're interested in. And, and the student immediately jumped to like, I want to be an oncologist and here's why I want to be an oncologist. And, and, and like, that was the one thing that I'm like, well, maybe, maybe they just don't want oncologists. <laughs> and so yeah. It was really hard. Like he had a great application and only got like one interview and, wow. and it's, it's the subspecialties where it's like, well, you're interested in that now right. or a, another student actually, um, he had some lower stats and one of the schools, University of Arkansas that he applied to specifically told him like, we need more diversity in your shadowing. He had only shadowed a neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. He's interested in being a neurosurgeon and, and their kind of excuse was we need more diversity in shadowing. And what they're saying is y- you need to shadow primary care. Cause that's our mission here. Mm-hmm. No, but, but focusing on primary care, was not going to hurt you at, at most schools. No. Mm. Yeah. If mental health is a big part of my story, is it okay to talk about this on my personal statement? Below 3.0 GPA with strong upward trend. So I don't understand. So if mental health is a big part of my story, is it okay to talk about this in my personal statement? So let's leave the GPA out of it because that's really not important. Yeah. And, and so I think it depends a little bit on what you mean by a big part of my story. Is it if it's your own mental health issue or if it's a mental health issue of your father or mother or brother or, you know, some, so somebody ancillary to you. Uh, I mean, I've seen that a lot where, where, um, you know, uh, students had uh, a family member who was, who was um, diagnosed with bi- bipolar disorder or, you know, some other sort of mental health issue. And so they were in the process of, of helping them deal with that issue and helping their family and, and dealing with it themselves. They, they came to understand a lot about medicine and they, you know, wanted to go into medicine because of that. Absolutely. And the, the thing that gives me pause uh, about discussing it in terms of your own mental health, if that, if that was your own mental health issue, is you could be potentially talking about a disability that is, has to be irrelevant to uh, the, the admissions process. So if you, does, I don't know if that makes sense, Rachel and Ryan, what I'm really trying to say, but you have to be a little bit careful in terms of uh, revealing things that should not be considered in the admissions process because of disability issues. Uh, there are, you know, federal laws related to that. And so I think you do, you do have to be, a, be careful about that. And, and that's, a good, that's a good example of, I think, so, some situation where you would want to seek out advice from uh, a professional uh, in the admissions process, whether it's somebody here at MAPT or, or, or elsewhere, that can really give you some guidance and, and kind of talk through what that what that looked like, uh, the effect that it had on you, and then how how you would talk about it in terms of your application, uh, the personal statement, for example, to really get some good feedback. Yeah. Yeah. As always, if it's a big part of why you want to be a doctor, then it probably should be there. Uh, yeah. There, there are good ways and bad ways to focus on it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, we're probably not going to get to everything tonight, but here's 
Sorry, I I can't tell if this is sad or funny or both. (laughs) How do I maintain my drive for medical school when studying physics and organic chemistry makes me want to throw myself out of the nearest window? (laughs) Hopefully it's a first floor window. (laughs) Good response. Uh, can we throw up the national suicide hotline number please yeah right <laughs> i know i was like i don't, I don't uh, <laughs> i was yeah. trying to memorize that number i can never uh yeah please don't harm yourself yeah don't do that wow yeah so so my honest answer to that is put yourself around patients put yourself in around the clinical setting remind yourself why you're um, kind of suffering through those courses. It's not to prove that you can get A's. It's, it's just kind of the step of the process. Great. Wonderful. I really am going to put up that number real quick just yeah. because there you go. that can be triggering. They've yeah. got chat too. You don't have to call if you're anti-phone like, you know, mm-hmm. most humans. Mm-hmm. So if you'd rather chat with them, you can go to their website. Yeah. And you know, I, I was laughing about the, 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 the statement. Uh, and, and one of the things that I recommend to students, and I'm, I'm a big advocate for symbolism. And one of the things that I really recommend is, is find a symbol that's going to motivate you. Um, I, I think maybe it's a picture of, you know, your grandfather who was a doctor and was your idol or whatever. Maybe it's a, you know, I think a good, a good symbols is, is, you know, go get a stethoscope at at Amazon and and stick it on the wall in front so that in in front of where you, uh, where you study, because there are times when you're going to be studying physics or OCHEM or whatever, when you're going to be just going crazy and you're just at your wits end. And that's the time when you need to look up at that symbol and say, this is why I'm doing this. This is the very reason why I'm sitting here at 3 a.m. studying OCHEM or or whatever. And the impact that symbolism can have is, I think, enormous. And I think you have to have, I was talking to a student today, in fact, about doing this. And, and she, she, she was very, um, uh, grateful for for the advice, and she said, "I'm going to do that." If it, and I told her, I said, "If you have to put it around your neck and listen to your heartbeat, whatever you have to do to motivate yourself and to continue to push yourself and drive yourself, then that's what you do. That's what you keep doing. And so, if if it takes, you know, a picture uh, or a or a stethoscope or whatever it is that motivates you, that is going to serve as that symbol for you, do it." And it shouldn't be a $10 bill. Correct. <laughs> should, should not be the monies. Nope. Nope. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Another Ask the Dean in the books. Yep. yep. It's been fun. It's been it real. It has been fun. It has been fun. Absolutely. All thank right. You everyone. Thank you. you thank you. Soon. Thank you. Love all of you. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.